This message was recorded at Fillmore Baptist Church in Princeton, Louisiana. Our goal is to faithfully preach the Word of God for the salvation of sinners, the strengthening of believers, and the glory of God. Please visit our website at www.fillmorebaptist.org and listen for more information at the conclusion of this message. Lord willing, next week we'll uh, move on into the next few verses and talk a little bit about uh, exercise. Exercising ourselves in godliness. But for tonight, um, and of course this is part of that. It's just how how uh, the apostle Paul leads into that. Uh, but we're we're going to remain here in first few verses. I'm going to read verses one through five again. First Timothy chapter four verses one through five. Now the Spirit. Uh, let me make that one through six. Now the Spirit expressly says that in latter times some will depart from the faith giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For every creature of God is good, and nothing is to be refused if it is received with thanksgiving. For it is sanctified by the word of God and prayer. If you instruct the brethren in these things, you will be a good minister or servant of Jesus Christ, nourished in the words of faith and of the good doctrine which you have carefully followed. Okay, so just a little little recap of where we've Ben, the warning here is about some who will depart from the faith, giving heed to demonic doctrines. In fact, giving heed to demons, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons, or in other words, teachings of demons. That's what Paul is warning against. So, a lot of lessons to learn here. For for one thing... um, there's something behind uh, that which contradicts the truth. And, and here's the, the contrast Paul is drawing between falsehood and truth. And he's saying the danger is going off into falsehood. In fact, he's saying this, the Spirit expressly says that in the latter times, some are going to do this. They're going to depart from the faith. And there's the contrast. The, the, uh, the warning is about those who leave the faith for falsehood. So you've got a contrast between truth and falsehood. And what's behind this falsehood is a demonic influence. That is, those who depart from the faith are giving heed to deceiving spirits. So rather than uh, paying attention to and obeying um, the Word, which is, is key here, he he, uh, he mentioned several times the Word, and as I, as I said before, that's really uh, the Word of God is really synonymous with the truth. When Paul, or when the Scripture talks about the truth, uh, talks about the Word of God, and oftentimes they're, they're, they're used interchangeably because God's Word is truth. God Himself is truth, and His Word, of course, is His own revelation to us. So those who's he's, who he's warning about, they depart from 
the truth for falsehood. That is, they, they give heed to, give in to <clears throat> demonic teachings. And that's how they give heed to deceiving spirits, by, by uh, obeying uh, or adhering to their teachings. And then they themselves, verse 2, wind up speaking lies in hypocrisy. Paul says they're, uh, just to paraphrase it, they're lying hypocrites, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron. Uh, so they're um, desensitized to the truth. They're, they're, they're numb, so to speak, regarding what they're doing. It's like they have no conscience in these things. Uh, their conscience is seared. And he gives a couple of examples. It's not an exhaustive list. It's just, just two examples of their, of their teaching, of their demonic doctrine. Verse 3, Forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those, again, notice the contrast, by those who believe and know the truth. So you've got those who are giving heed to deceiving spirits and demonic doctrine set over against those who believe and know the truth. Believers, um, those who adhere to truth, as opposed to those who adhere to falsehood. And then, of course, the contrast between truth and falsehood. And then he picks up on this um, idea of abstaining from certain foods, and he says, here's what's wrong with that. Every creature of God is good, and nothing is to be refused if it is received with thanksgiving. We don't have to abstain from anything if it's received with thanksgiving. Giving. Now, we're going to read a passage in a moment, uh, Lord willing. We get there from Romans 14, and you're going to see that there are some cases in the church where Paul says some abstain from certain foods or drink and, or, or even observe certain days, and he gives instruction not to judge them. Um, I think the difference there is, uh, number one, that it's not done for justification, which seems to be what he's implying here. He's setting it over against the gospel. In other words, uh, it seems to be the case in Ephesus, um, which is where we're talking about here, that these false teachers are teaching that you need to do these things in order to be justified. You need to do these things in order to be right with God. Uh, I presume that's not the case of the ones he's talking about in Romans. We'll talk a little more about that when we get there. Um, but secondly, this. He, in Romans, he's warning both sides. You know, whether you eat or don't eat, whether you observe the day or don't observe the day, you, you, you don't uh, judge the other side. You don't, you don't condemn them. So he's, he's not allowing, let me say it this way, those who do abstain from certain foods or who do observe certain days as um, more holy than another day, um, he, he's, he's basically saying, he's basically laying down the rule that um, it's fine if you are convicted to do that and you want to do that, but you're not going to teach that everybody do that because it's not a requirement. It's not, a, it's not required by the gospel. And then also the flip side, he, those who do, don't observe certain days and those who don't abstain from certain foods and drinks, he's saying that's, that's good. You, you're stronger in faith. You understand your freedom in Christ, but you're not going to 
harass those that do do those things um, because they have to, uh, to an ex- you know, they have to live by their conscience. They have to answer to God for their own actions. Okay, so here he just he just makes the case that um, this kind of abstinence from marriage and from certain foods is not required. Every creature is good, and nothing is to be refused if it is received with thanksgiving. Now that's that's key. These things are given to us for our good, for our pleasure even. That's, that's not bad. These things are given to us by God for our pleasure. And the purpose is that we would, we would use them or partake of them with thanksgiving to Him. And that way He's glorified. God is glorified. So if, if you eat or if you marry... And all the while you're giving God thanks for these gifts, then God is glorified in that. And that's the whole purpose in them anyway. So Paul says the things themselves are good, and they are intended to be received as long as it's with thanksgiving. Or another way of saying it is uh, that they must be done in faith. And I'll come back to that in a moment. And then he says uh, in verse 5, For it is, he's talking specifically about his example here, uh, the food. For it is sanctified by the Word of God and prayer. It's set apart or made holy by the Word of God and prayer. God has given us these things to enjoy, and they are um, sanctified, set apart, for holy use, you could say. That is, in other words, we as Christians made righteous um, by the grace of God are, are allowed to, uh, not only allowed to partake of them, but I mean they're given to us as gifts. And they're set apart and sanctified for that purpose by God's Word and by prayer. Uh, we, we mentioned before that when, when he talks about, in verse 4, these things are good, or they're sanctified by the Word, that's probably a reference to... Um, there, there are a couple things he could have in mind there, but probably Genesis 1, where God repeatedly says, uh, upon uh, creating, it was good. And then in the final analysis, after he creates Adam and Eve, he says um, he looks at all of creations and says it is very good. And then I also pointed out to you in Mark 7, where uh, Mark records that Jesus... Um, basically pronounces all food clean in the exchange that he has with the Pharisees there. And we, we read that, Mark 7, also Matthew 15. So it's possible that Paul's got that in mind here too. Um, maybe when he says the Word, it's just a reference to the Gospel. The Gospel, the Word of God, definitely purifies. That's how we are saved, born again um, through the Word of the Gospel. So then in verse 6, he tells Timothy, If you instruct the brethren in these things, you will be a good servant of Jesus Christ. He's saying this, this is what needs to be taught. This is what needs to be heard in the church. And if you do this, you'll be a, a good servant. You'll, you'll be fulfilling your, your ministry, your service. If you instruct the brethren in these things, you will be a good servant of Jesus Christ 
nourished, or that word can be translated uh, trained. It's used uh, that way in a, in a uh, metaphorical sense. Trained in the words of faith. So if you instruct the brethren in these things, you will be a good minister of Jesus Christ, trained in the words of faith and of the good doctrine which you have carefully followed. There again, he's contrasting truth with error. Words of faith and good doctrine versus giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons in verse 1. So what Paul wants Timothy and Ephesus and all the believers, us, to do is be trained in words of faith. Words of faith. We, um, our, our relationship with the Lord is based on faith. It's not, it's not based upon any, anything that we do or who we are. We, we have nothing um, to offer to God. Our relationship is based on faith in what Christ has done in our behalf. So he says, I want you trained in the words of faith, the gospel message. And then he goes on to say, like I say, well, Lord, Lord willing, we'll talk about next week. Um, keep in mind this idea of training. Look at verse 7. But reject profane and old wives' fables. Why? Because those are like the, you know, deceiving, the doctrines of demons, deceiving spirits. They're, they're, they're uh, fruitless. They're worthless. But what are we to do? Exercise yourself toward godliness. Be, be uh, trained in words of faith and exercise yourself toward godliness. For bodily exercise profits a little, but godliness is profitable for all things, having promise of the life that now is and of that which is to come. Alright, so, um, words of faith. Just I want to tonight just um, briefly lay out a couple of principles here. Uh, for for exercising the kind of liberty that, that the apostle is claiming that we have here, um, and and they are these. Um, it when he talks about um, specifically here um, his examples, for example, marriage and and uh, uh, not abstaining from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving. The positive side is this. It, these things have to be done in faith and in love. And that's, those are the two primary elements. They, they must be there. If they're not there, then the act itself is corrupted. Now, now this is why this is so important. Because we tend to think that the thing... It's like... It's like Paul says in Colossians, you know, touch not, taste not. And he, and he tells the Colossians, don't, don't, don't adhere to that kind of stuff. We, we tend to think that the thing is corrupt. You know, whether it's an action, something we do. Um, these people re, were even saying that about marriage. And like I explained before, it was pr- probably... Um, early elements of what became uh, known as Gnosticism, where they 
uh, one, one extreme that they went to was saying everything physical is bad and evil and everything spiritual is good. And so the way they applied that was, um, well, you, you don't want to engage and you, know, you don't want to get married because you don't want to give in to any kind of you know, physical um, desires. You don't want to eat things that you like because your body enjoys that. You know, so stay away from bluebell and pork chops and anything that you like. You just you just basically eat to survive. They they would go to those kinds of extremes because they would say everything physical is evil, and so you want to deny your yourself of any pleasure. And the apostles say, no, that's the wrong way to look at it. God gives you these things for pleasure. But they are to be received in faith. It's not the thing that's corrupt. It's not, it's not the body. There's nothing wrong with marriage. That's not what's corrupt. There's nothing wrong with certain foods and drinks. Those things are ideophores. This is the technical word. It just means they're, they're neutral. They're, they are morally neutral. Food... Bluebell heavenly hash. <laughs> yes, even things like alcohol, morally neutral. It's not corrupt. What is corrupt is, is us. It's like I explained last week. I won't go all back into that, but I just want to say this. If, if whatever we do, and this is what I want us to get, it's, it's not the act itself. We're the ones that defile the act. So, so the act can be something that we look at as good, and yet it's defiled because it's not done in faith. And that's, that's where the, this is where the danger is of, of putting the focus on the thing and saying that thing. Like I told you before about the old T.G. Shepherd song, you know, there's a devil in the bottle. And that's the way uh, in our society people have been trained to think about alcohol. And I'm not, the reason I'm using alcohol so much is because it's such a big issue in our society. If it wasn't, um, then, you know, I'd find another illustration. It's not because I'm trying to convince you to drink alcohol, not, not at all. But it's just that it's because in our society it has been made an issue. Uh, it's, it's sort of like. Um, in a similar way, you know, some, some people wonder why we uh, have so much to say against homosexuality. Well, it's, I, I'm not trying to single it out among sins. It's just that it has become a huge issue in our society. And so, therefore, you know, we have to speak out about it. But uh, anyway, so T.G. Shepard says there's a devil in a bottle. And our society has been prone to think that way toward things like alcohol and other substances and toward certain acts. And I think this is exactly what Paul is talking about when he talks about giving heed to deceiving spirits. What what do you think Satan's goal is? It is to distract us from the things that really matter and get us focused on something that doesn't really matter. So, for example, 
if I can become convinced that evil is in alcohol and then I abstain from it, I can convince myself that I'm a better, more righteous person for doing that. Not only is that not true, but it also goes the other way. Things that are we think of as good are actually defiled if they're not done in faith. Let me give you a few examples of that scripturally. Proverbs 15.8 The sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord, but the prayer of the upright is His delight. Now, this is written during in the context of the Old Testament economy, when they were commanded to offer sacrifice. It's part of the Mosaic Law. So why would God call a sacrifice an abomination when He commands it? Notice the qualifier, the sacrifice of the wicked. In other words, when the wicked do what God commands, it's an abomination to the Lord. In Isaiah, I think it's in Isaiah 1 where he, I think that he, he uh, calls it a stench in his nostrils. And by the way, I think it's a good practice. Um, Any time you, you see that word wicked in the Scripture or transgressor or something like that, you know... Uh, uh, the, the way of transgressors is hard. And anytime you run across uh, phraseology like that, say, that's me. That's me. Because every description of the wicked you see um, fits us when, when we're left to ourselves. And when you see a phrase like, but the prayer of the upright is His delight, think about Jesus. When Jesus prayed, the Father was delighted. Because he's, he's the only upright one. Now, I know you can, you, you can say, well, can't we, uh, isn't that applicable at all to believers? Sure it is, because Christ's righteousness is applied to us, and now the Lord, God takes delight in our prayers as well. He takes delight in us. So sure it is once you bring Christ into the picture. But leave Him out of it. If, we're just talking, if I'm just talking about me, I've never done an upright thing in my life. I'd, 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 I'd go so far as to say this. I, you know, I think about this sometimes. I don't know that I've ever, ever say it, but I think about this sometimes. Um, and, uh, and, and I can't, I can't tell you. You know, this we just got a small part of the family here tonight, but I can't tell you how much I appreciate you folks. I mean, I, I couldn't, couldn't express it. Um, and so I don't mean it. Don't take this like in, in an ugly way because I, I, you know, I catch myself doing this. I'll, I'm, not, I'm not saying you, know, you would do this and I wouldn't. But, I, but I'm just, I'm, I just have to use this reference. It just helps me. Um, I think if you'd known me before I was saved and, and, and known some of the things that I was involved in, you might not have wanted to have much to do with me. And, and I, I just say that to simply make the point, in and of myself, 
I'm telling you, there's nothing good there. And like Paul says in Romans, no good thing dwells in me. There's no good thing dwells in me except Christ. Christ, Christ alone. So when I see that term wicked, transgressor, sinner, heathen, I think, yeah, that's, that's me. And when I see the righteous, the upright, Jesus. That's Jesus. Here's another one. Example of us contaminating the action. The thoughts of the wicked are an abomination to the Lord. But the words of the pure are pleasant. That's Proverbs 15.26. You know, you would expect that, wouldn't you? I mean, this is the way we think. You'd expect that to say, the evil thoughts of the wicked are an abomination to the Lord. In other words, you know, thinking dirty things, thinking filthy things, and so God hates that. No, He just simply says, the thoughts. The thoughts of the wicked are an abomination to the Lord. There's not one second, nanosecond, that goes by in your lifetime or in my lifetime that our, our brain is functioning and it's functioning all the time, isn't it? You can't shut it off. There's not one nanosecond that sin is not present and active. I mean, it, it grieves me. You know, I, I, I think sometimes um, I dream a lot. I don't, I don't always remember what I dream. It's a strange thing. But, but sometimes you don't remember what you, or at least this is my case with me. Sometimes I don't remember, remember what I dreamt specifically. I just remember that I, I dreamt a lot during the night. And it kind of kept me, you kind of feel like you're not quite getting a sound sleep or whatever. And you think about the things you dream, if you do remember them, and they're just crazy. And you wonder, why in the world can I have, you know, nice, pleasant, godly dreams? What I'm saying is, even when you're asleep, your mind's at work with corrupt thoughts. And to tell you the truth, even if you weren't thinking anything for a moment, we're corrupted our very nature. So sin is still present. I mean, you don't have to do something. Sin is part of us. Here's another one. Proverbs 21.4. This one, I use this one a lot in, in witnessing the people um, to, to, to kind of help them get the idea of what where sin is. A haughty look... A proud heart, now listen to this last part, and the plowing of the wicked are sin. Now the first two, I mean, we can, a haughty look is sin. Okay, yeah, I got that. A proud heart is sin. I got that. That makes sense. The plowing of the wicked is sin. Now wait a minute. What's the writer of Proverbs talking about there? He's talking about them just doing their daily work working by the sweat of their brow to bring home the bread, the bacon. He's saying they get out and they work hard for a living and do what they're supposed to do as human beings. And he says it's 
wicked. It's sin in the sight of God. The plowing of the wicked is sin. Why? What's wrong with plowing? Nothing. It's commendable. It's, 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 it's what we would call good, hard work. But the plowing of the wicked is sin. The action itself becomes sinful because it's tainted by the one doing it. It's not the bottle that's the problem. It's the one picking up the bottle that is wicked in the sight of the Lord and corrupts the very act. I already mentioned this one, uh, this particular act, but I, another passage here, Proverbs twenty-one twenty-seven says again, the sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination. How much more when he brings it with wicked intent? Now, there again, you would think it would say, the sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination when he brings it with wicked intent. <laughs> but it doesn't say that. It says it's automatically an abomination. And then that's just compounded when he brings it with wicked intent. Now, let's go to Romans in the little bit of remaining time we have. Romans 14. I want to read all of this, so I'm going to read it, and I'm going to have to kind of speed through the comments, I guess, but I'd but I I'd rather do that than not read this chapter. It's It's powerful. Um, Verse 14, uh, I'm sorry, chapter 14, verse 1, Romans. Receive one who is weak in the faith, but not to disputes over doubtful things. For one believes he may eat all things, but he who is weak eats only vegetables. Let not him who eats despise him who does not eat. And let not him who does not eat Judge him who eats, for God has received him. Who are you to judge another's servant? To his own master he stands or falls. Indeed, he will be made to stand, for God is able to make him stand. One person esteems one day above another. Another esteems every day alike. Let each be fully convinced in his own mind. Okay, let's stop there for just a moment. This is the principle of faith. Let each be fully convinced in his own mind. Paul's saying it's a matter of conscience. Some have weaker faith and they're afraid to eat everything or they esteem one day above another. Sunday's more holy than Monday. But then he says some eat all things because they have stronger faith. And some... See all days as equal. And then he says, you're not to judge one another because every servant stands or falls to his own master, but he says, let each, verse 5, let each be fully convinced in his own mind. In other words, whether you eat or don't eat, whether you esteem one day above another or esteem all day alike, make sure that what you're doing, you are doing in faith. Trusting Christ, motivated by love for Him and for one another. 
Verse 6, He who observes the day observes it to the Lord. And he who does not observe the day to the Lord, he does not observe it. He who eats, eats to the Lord, for he gives God thanks. Does that sound familiar? Same thing he's saying in Timothy. That's what God gave us those things for us, for us to eat, for us to enjoy and give Him thanks. That way He's glorified. He gives the gift, we give Him thanks, and He's glorified. So He says, He who eats, eats to the Lord, for He gives God thanks. And he who does not eat to the Lord, he does not eat and gives God thanks. For none of us lives to himself, and no one dies to himself. If we live, we live to the Lord. If we die, we die to the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and rose and lived again, that He might be Lord of both the dead and the living. But why do you judge your brother? Or why do you show contempt for your brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. For it is written, As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So then, each of us shall give account to himself to God. Therefore, let us not judge one another anymore, but rather resolve this. And here comes the principle of love. And we've already talked about faith, which is love to God. We could call that vertical love. Now we're talking about horizontal love. In order to enjoy things properly, we must be motivated by love for God and love for brothers and sisters in Christ. And even for the lost. So, verse 13, Therefore, let us not judge one another anymore, but rather resolve this, not to put a stumbling block or a cause to fall in our brother's way. Now, listen, listen to the apostle here in verse 14. I know and am convinced by the Lord Jesus that there is nothing unclean of itself. Just another way of saying what he says in 1 Timothy 4. There he says, all things are good. And God intends for us to receive them with thanksgiving. Here he says, I know and am persuaded by the Lord Jesus Christ, there is nothing unclean of itself. Remember the words of Jesus, Mark 6, Matthew 15. Nothing from outside coming into the body can defile a man. Why? Because it's not unclean. But it's what comes out of the body. It's what comes out of the heart, specifically. Out of the inner being. In the form of corrupt words and deeds and thoughts of hatred. Those things, Jesus said, defile a man. The corruption is not outside of us. It's in us. And so Paul says, I'm convinced by the words of the Lord Jesus. He may have that very passage in mind. Mark 7. That nothing is unclean of itself. But to him who considers anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. Did you hear that? This is, where, again, where faith comes in. Nothing's unclean of itself, but to him who considers it unclean, to him it's unclean. 
unclean to everybody. That's why we don't want to force our convictions on somebody else where we don't have warrant to do that. But to him, it's definitely unclean. Verse 15, Yet if your brother is grieved, now here comes the law of love again, Yet if your brother is grieved because of your food, you are no longer walking in love. You see what he's saying? You don't consider it unclean, and it's not unclean. Your brother does consider it unclean. So what do you got to do? Defer to your brother. If you don't, you're not walking in love. Do not destroy with your food the one for whom Christ died. Verse 16, Therefore do not let your good be evil, or be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God, and, 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 and again, I don't know, highlight it, underline it. <laughs> this is powerful truth. Verse 17, For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. That's the essence of the kingdom of God. That's what it's about. It's not about eating and drinking. It's about true righteousness. And it's about peace. Peace with God. And peace with fellow human beings. And it's about joy in the Holy Spirit. Now listen to what he says in verse 18. For he who serves Christ in these things, what things, Paul? Righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Not eating and drinking, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. He who serves Christ in these things is acceptable to God and approved by men. Now, we just read several passages. The prayer of the wicked is sin. The plowing of the wicked is sin. The sacrifice of the wicked is sin. But, Paul says, if you serve God in righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit, you're acceptable to God. If you do the things that you do in faith, trusting in the righteousness of Christ alone, you're acceptable to God and approved by men. Verse 19, Therefore, let us pursue things which make for peace and things by which one may build up another. So, he's saying, what should govern your actions is not a bunch of do's and don'ts or not a bunch of superstition about this is good, this is bad, that's bad, this is good. What should govern our actions, Paul says, is love. Love for brothers and sisters in Christ. You don't want to do anything that might cause someone else to stumble. So pursue the things which make for peace and pursue the things by which one may build up another. So uh, we, we like Paul. Paul says um, he, do, he does everything he can to be at peace with all men. Become all things to all people. Pursuing peace. And we pursue 
the well-being of the others, the, the maturity. We, we're here to build each other up, to help each other mature and grow in the faith. So verse 20, do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. All things indeed are pure. There it is again. All things indeed are pure, but it is evil for the man who eats with offense. It is good neither to eat meat nor drink wine. I want you to notice something there. He didn't just say it's good not to drink wine if it causes somebody to stumble. He said it's good not to eat meat or drink wine. Paul's saying, I'm not willing to do anything, no matter how acceptable it is and how right I know it is, if it's going to cause a weaker brother or sister to stumble, Paul says, I'm not doing it. Verse 21, It is good neither to eat meat nor drink wine nor do anything by which your brother stumbles or is offended or is made weak. Why? Because we're called to build one another up. We're called in verse 19 to pursue those things which make for peace and which, uh, by which one may build up another. Verse 22, do you have faith? Here's, here's his conclusion on this matter, and it's going to have to be ours too because we're out of time. Do you have faith? Have it to yourself before God. What he's saying is, if, if what you're doing, what you allow in your own life offends somebody else, then what you need to do, if you're going to do that, you just, you just do it by yourself before God. Do you have faith? Have it to yourself before God. Happy is he who does not condemn himself in what he approves. He's saying you, you, you're, you're blessed, you're happy if you're not condemned in the things that you participate in, that you approve of. But, verse 23, he who doubts, in other words, there's lack of faith there like we've been talking about, but he who doubts is condemned if he eats because he does not eat from faith. For, and here's the key to it all, whatever is not from faith is sin. Now, that, sometimes that may get a little complicated to apply, but it's really um, easy, isn't it, as a, as a basic rule? Because we try to figure out, is, is that sin? Is that sin? Is, 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 if I eat this, is that sin? If I drink that, is that sin? Paul says, whatever, whatever is not of faith is sin. In fact, let's say it this way. The Holy Spirit says, whatever is not of faith is sin. So, plowing becomes sin. Sacrifices to God become sin. Prayer becomes sin. Thoughts become sin. Praying becomes sin. Going to church becomes sin. Whatever is not of faith is sin. It's not the thing that contaminates the person. It's the person that contaminates the thing. Let's pray. Father, we're thankful for Your revealed truth and, Lord, for such amazing grace.
Lord, these <clears throat> these truths, Lord, help me um, realize my own sinfulness. And I think, Lord, as a result of that, help me realize the greatness of Your grace. And Lord, I just pray that You uh, continue to open these things up. May we uh, understand that um, we're the problem. Not so that we can walk around beat down all the time and that sort of thing, cast down, but again, so that we can understand the magnitude of Your love and Your grace towards us. And that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. May it provoke us to much, much thanksgiving as we partake of all the blessings that You have given us in this world. Not to mention in the world to come. And Lord, if we're not convinced of anything else, Lord, may we, like John Newton, be convinced of this. I'm a great sinner. And Christ is a great Savior. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This sermon is made available through the ministry of Fillmore Baptist Church in Princeton, Louisiana. Our desire is to faithfully proclaim the message of salvation which God has provided in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ our Lord. For more resources and information, please visit our website at www.fillmorebaptist.org. You may use the links there to contact us or write us at Fillmore Baptist Church, 6304 Highway 80, Princeton, Louisiana, 71067.